It's a blessing to worship with you this morning, a blessing to sing these songs. I don't know if you saw or not, but these four little girls on the front row with their hands in the air praising Jesus, that's why we're building this building out back. We want a thousand more like them. If you've got your Bible, turn with me to the book of Acts. Ah, just kidding, I'm just kidding. We've been in Acts for like two years. We're going to be in Galatians this morning. We finished Acts two weeks ago, and it's a blessing to have men like John Holmes and Cameron Tucker that stand in and came and preached the Word to you last Sunday uh, to give us uh, give me some time with Galatians before we begin. Uh, just want to just remark about my appreciation for them and what a blessing it is to have them. Today we're going to begin our study in the book of Galatians. It's only six chapters, so it's probably only going to take us a couple years um, but I pray it won't take that long. I'm just kidding. I pray that the Lord would use this book, this study that we're beginning today to deepen our understanding and our faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. You've heard me say many, many times from this pulpit that the gospel is not just the baby steps of Christianity. It's not just the first step that you, um, you know, you, you, you pray a prayer and you, you say the right words and you, you're in now and now you need to move to the deeper thing. That's foolishness. There are no deeper things. Walking in the gospel is the Christian life. Delving further into the gospel and what it means for who we are and how we walk is the growing Christian life. And when we drift from our identity in Christ, looking at other things or adding even the smallest thing to our standing in Jesus Christ, we lose the gospel itself. Jesus alone is sufficient. He is enough and there is no other gospel. That's what we're going to see as we walk through the book of Galatians. Let's read verses 1 through 10, and then we'll back up and see this introduction that Paul gives to the churches in Galatia. He says, beginning in chapter 1, verse 1, Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. And here's his greeting. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of God and Father, our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. He says to the Galatians, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an, an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Let's pray and ask God to bless our time in this text. Father, we do love you. We thank you for your word. We pray, God, that you would walk with us through this, that you would teach us what you would have us to know, that your spirit would come, and that you would reveal the truth of your word to our hearts. It's not about what Jason thinks, what Jason says, God. It's not about what we think or say, God. We want to hear from you today. So, God, we pray that you would speak to our hearts through your word, and we thank you that you will. In Jesus' name, amen. When you read this text, these first 10 verses, we're only going to get through the first five today, but... The first 10 verses, the first impression that you get from Paul's tone and his speech is that he is taking this whole thing very, very seriously. 
This letter is biting and it's, it's urgent. Paul doesn't have any tolerance whatsoever for those who would add anything to the gospel of grace. He loves the Christians in Galatia and the gospel is too important to let things lie or, or just to agree to disagree with these people who are teaching this other gospel. When it comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ, Paul is not willing to negotiate and neither can we. So let's start with just a brief introduction to this letter. Galatia was a, a large province in Asia Minor, modern day Turkey. Here in this map is kind of a basic area known as Galatia. And there's a lot of debate about whether Paul writes this letter to churches in the northern section of the province or the southern section of the province of Galatia. I want you to know I'm not going to deal with any of that. If you want to know about that, you come talk to me. We'll walk through all the arguments for and against. But for the sake of our study, just know that I hold that Paul was writing to the churches in southern Galatia, which are the churches that he and Barnabas planted and visited on their first and second missionary journeys. We read all about that in Acts chapter 14 when we were walking our way through Acts. These churches, and they're here on the map, you may not be able to see it, are Pisidian, Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, and Derbe. We read all about what happened in those churches in Acts chapter 14 or in those areas as Paul and Barnabas were planting and then revisiting those churches in Acts chapter 14. We saw what they went through, the persecution that happened there as they were doing this. And so Paul is writing this letter to the Galatian churches because as soon as he and Barnabas left the area, false teachers came or were already there leading people away from the gospel. These teachers are commonly known as Judaizers. And what they were is they, they claimed to be Jewish Christians. They taught that Jesus is God's Messiah. They taught that you must trust in Jesus but they claimed that the death and the resurrection of Jesus was merely the first step to have the fullness of salvation before God. To truly be accepted before God, you must trust in Jesus and you must be circumcised and you must obey the customs and the traditions of Moses. They were saying that the gospel alone is not enough. And at the same time this was happening in Galatia, in these churches in this region, it was also happening in Paul's home church of Antioch in Syria. In Acts chapter 14, after this missionary journey was over, he and Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas, went back to their home church, their sending church in Syrian Antioch. And in Acts chapter 15, it says, but some men came down from Judea, we're talking about in Antioch, their home church, and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some others uh, were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. And we read all about the Jerusalem Council in Acts chapter 15 when we walked through that and how the early church dealt with this. So this false teaching that Jesus' gospel is not enough, his death and resurrection is not enough, you need more, you need circumcision, you need the laws of Moses... This, this teaching was rampant in the early churches. And that's why Galatians is written to defend salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. Make sure that you understand this before we dig into this text. These Judaizers weren't saying that Jesus is not the Messiah. They weren't saying that Jesus has not been raised from the dead. 
They taught that Jesus is the true Son of God, the long-awaited Messiah. He is the risen Lord. They agreed with much of what Paul was teaching, the gospel that he preached. The only difference was they said Paul's gospel didn't go far enough. They taught that Paul's message wasn't the whole story. To be saved and enter into the kingdom of God as an heir to the promise of Abraham, you need to trust in Jesus and you need to follow the Jewish laws and be circumcised just like every other son of Abraham has always done. Their gospel was Jesus plus something else. And they were convincing people in these Galatian churches That since Paul wasn't one of the original 12 apostles, the 12 disciples of Jesus, he got his message secondhand anyway. And he just didn't have all his facts straight. So the letter to the Galatian churches is Paul defending, number one, his authority as an apostle of Jesus and defending salvation through faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ alone. You need to know all of this. Because Paul begins this introduction and he jumps right into making his case. As he introduces himself, the first thing he does is define his authority as Jesus' apostle. He says, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Paul doesn't mince words in this letter at all. He comes right out of the gate swinging. It's very short It's very direct. It's very choppy in the original language. He says, Paul, apostle, not from man. I mean, he comes right out of the gate making his case. He begins defending his apostleship. Now, the word apostle, apostolos, it just means one who is sent. So in a sense, every believer is sent by Jesus on mission. But in the New Testament, it also uses this term apostle as an office given to those who were personally chosen by the resurrected Christ to carry this authoritative message. They are the capital A apostles, the authoritative spokesmen of Jesus Christ. They had seen the risen Christ personally. They had been commissioned by him personally. And they have given us a written record inspired by the Holy Spirit of the message. So in the very first sentence of this letter, Paul declares his authority to teach and to preach the message of Jesus Christ. He is an apostle, not from human beings, but from Jesus Christ. He puts to rest the idea that he got his teaching secondhand from the Jerusalem apostles or from the church in Antioch. And he's going to go into much more depth about that in chapter one. He puts to rest the idea that he got it from any other human being. Paul didn't receive his apostleship from Peter or James or from any other apostle or any other church. He didn't receive it from any human. He received it directly from the risen Lord and God the Father who raised Jesus from the dead. Paul's commissioning should really be familiar to us. We've just gotten finished walking through the book of Acts. And in the book of Acts, his commissioning as an apostle is recorded for us three different times. In Acts chapter 26, verses 15 through 18, as Paul was retelling what happened on the road to Damascus to Agrippa, he says this, after Jesus appeared to him in this bright light, he says, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus who you are persecuting. And this is what Jesus says to Paul, but rise and stand upon your feet for I have appeared to you for this purpose 
to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles. Look at this. To whom I am sending. There's our word in verb form. Apostle. I'm sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified. How? By the law of Moses. No, by faith in me. He received his message and his commission from Jesus Christ. Paul tells these Galatians, Jesus gave me this message. Now, Paul's authority as an apostle is not a minor detail. This is vital for what he's going to tell them in this letter. But it's also vital for us to understand today. That means as we read this letter in the coming weeks, in the coming months, we're reading the inspired word of the living God through his specifically chosen messenger. We're reading the truth that Jesus commissioned for his church to have by the Spirit. What Paul writes here and what he, what he writes in his letters of the New Testament and indeed what's recorded in all 66 books of the scriptures are not the words, the wisdom, and the opinions of man. The authority and inspiration of these words is from God. It is His message. Today, that's more important than ever. One of my favorite subjects is textual criticism and manuscript tradition and the passing down of those manuscripts and the copying of those manuscripts I love that, that, that subject. And it's so necessary today as there is attack after attack after attack after attack. Every Easter, every Christmas, there's going to be an attack on the Bible. But today, this is, it, it's just more important than ever for us to understand. Paul's an apostle of Jesus Christ. There's still people today that say, you know, Paul invented your version of Christianity. Jesus was all love and sacrifice and tolerance. You know, he gets us. And then Paul came along with all these complicated concepts and teachings and doctrines and true Christianity was just confused and corrupted. It's not true. It's ridiculous. Paul was chosen by the risen Jesus Christ as his apostle to the Gentiles. Paul's writings are every bit as authoritative, inspired, and God's word as Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Genesis, Exodus, Isaiah. So when we read Galatians... When we read Romans, when we read 1 Corinthians, we're reading the word of God given to his church. Even Peter, one of the 12 disciples, the 12 original disciples, recognized Paul's writings as scripture. In 2 Peter 3.15, he says, And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, look at it, as they do the other scriptures. Even Peter understood that the Holy Spirit had inspired Paul's writings as scripture. So the Galatians can't take this letter lightly. Paul, an apostle, not of man, of Jesus Christ and God who raised him from the dead. Neither can we take it lightly or flippantly. We must study it with a hunger for God to speak must devour it with a desire to be changed, must live in it as the objective standard of truth and righteousness in a time when objective truth is being thrown out the window. Paul is not an apostle commissioned by man. 
He's an apostle personally commissioned by Jesus Christ. And therefore, what he writes in this letter is the word of God. And all of the word of God from Genesis to Revelation gives us a unified message. And that message is the gospel of Jesus Christ and its perfection. He says, grace to you. This is his greeting. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul can't even get through the greeting without declaring the truth of the gospel to them. Remember, the issue at hand is that others are are teaching that Jesus' death, his burial, his resurrection are not by itself sufficient to fully save by grace through faith. So in the initial greeting, Paul lays out the message that he has been preaching. Now in verse 1, he's already told us that Jesus is risen from the dead. God raised him from the dead. And here he says, Jesus gave himself for our sins and that Jesus is giving himself for our sins is what delivers us from this present evil age. And that gospel, that perfect, complete, saving gospel is according to the will of God the Father. Here in this simple statement, Paul cuts right to the heart of the issue. Jesus' death was not just a display of heroism or an example of love. It certainly was, but it was not only that. It was a sacrifice for sin. The Bible teaches that Jesus' death was a sin offering, a once-for-all-time sacrifice where he stood in your place and paid the full penalty of sin for those who would put their trust in Jesus. And through Jesus alone, by his death and resurrection, that sin that separates mankind, humanity from God, is fully and completely put away by grace through faith. And sinners are rescued, are delivered, completely delivered from this present evil age. What is the present evil age? Well, the Bible divides history into two ages. You see it over and over again. This age and the age to come. Jesus used these two terms over and over and over again in the Gospels. Paul uses them in uh, some of his other letters. Uh, Jesus would say things like, your sin won't be forgiven you in this age or in the age to come. And we've talked a lot about the age to come as we've come to the end of the book of Acts. The kingdom of God is coming in fullness. There will be a new heavens, a new earth when all things are made new. The curse of this fallen world This fallen creation will be done away with fully and completely. And on that day, the age to come will be fully realized. But we've also seen that the kingdom of God is already breaking in right now through the gospel. The age to come is invading the present age and is rescuing people from their sin, from the curse of the fall of this world. Through the gospel, we're given new life now in this age, eternal life now in this age, right now. Just as Paul says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Not only are we delivered from this age, but even now in this age, We're indwelt by the Spirit of God. So right now, even in this present evil age, we have the power to walk in the Spirit according to the will of God. 
to live according to the age to come, even while we're still in this age. Paul's going to talk a lot in Galatians about walking in the Spirit and following after the Spirit and what the Spirit does in the new heart, bringing about fruit of love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. These false teachers in Galatia claimed that trusting in Jesus was just a good start. It was just the beginning. You're not really accepted by God yet. You have to be circumcised and keep the law of Moses. Follow after the customs, traditions, the ceremonial law of Moses. Jesus is good, but something else is needed. You need to add your works. You need to add all of these things, these ceremonies and traditions. But Paul refutes this whole idea right here in the introduction. And he's going to expand on all of what he says here in the rest of the book. I want you to notice that in this introduction that we've read, these first five verses, there's nothing in there about what you do and what you don't do. It's all about what Jesus has done. Jesus has truly and completely paid it all. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. That is Paul's gospel. That is Jesus' gospel. That's the message. That's the message God has given to mankind. And in Paul's introduction, you also see the fruit of that salvation. Now, I'm going to read these verses to you again. Verses 3 through 5 say, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of God, our God and fathers, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And we've already talked about one fruit of this salvation. He, he rescues us. He delivers us from this present evil age. He rescues sinners from the punishment of sin and rescues them from the power of sin in their life as the Spirit indwells them and they walk after the Spirit. He ushers the believer into the age to come, which is breaking into this age right now. And that salvation, that new identity in Christ also brings with it grace and peace for those who are bought with His blood. Now, grace and peace is Paul's standard greeting in all of his letters. In fact, it's a standard Christian greeting in most uh, early Christian letters and literature. But make no mistake, it is a distinctly Christian greeting. The normal salutation in Greek literature was karain, which is a word that means greetings or rejoice. Paul replaces that word with charis, which means grace. And in Jewish writings, the salutation was shalom. It means peace. Paul combines these two terms in all his letters, offering this uniquely Christian prayer wish to the churches to whom he's writing. That God would give them grace and peace. And in this letter, he tells them how that is found. It's through the gospel. Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age. It's the fruit of the gospel. It mirrors when he says grace and peace and then tells them how it mirrors exactly what he says in Romans 5 verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, look at it. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through Him, we also obtained access by faith into the grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Grace and peace. Why? Because we've been justified by faith. We have peace with God. We have this grace in which we now stand. 
Grace is God giving us a righteousness that we don't deserve and we can never earn. Peace means that we're no longer at war with God. His wrath is completely poured out on a substitute in our place. We're no longer enemies of God, as it says in Romans 3. All His wrath is poured out on Jesus who stands in our place receiving the penalty of our sin. And because there is no more wrath left for the sinner who trusts in Jesus, the Father sees us clothed in the righteousness of His Son. And we have peace with God. We have rest knowing that nothing can be added, nothing can be taken away. The gospel is a finished work accomplished by Jesus Christ alone. And this message, this message, which is the heart of the book of Galatians, it's not given to us today in Mulvane 2023 just so that we might go and battle false teachers who try to corrupt the truth of the gospel. There are plenty out there, trust me. And we should confront them with the truth of the gospel. Paul does not negotiate not one bit and neither should we. But what I want you to see today and as we walk through this book, it's also given to us today as disciples of Christ that our own hearts would come under the submission of the true gospel. There is an incredibly powerful temptation to let our hearts drift back into thinking that we're more accepted by God when we do good things and we're less accepted by God when we're, when we're not doing good things. That's because we ourselves are forgetting the gospel. We're not walking in the truth of the gospel, the reality of who we have been made in Christ Jesus if you have been born again. We're allowing our own hearts to be drawn away thinking that Jesus alone is not enough. I have to do more. I have to do something to be accepted. The Heavenly Father will not see me as righteous unless I do X, Y, and Z. Listen, in our practice of growing disciples of Jesus Christ, in our daily life, in our daily walk, we will be growing in holiness. We will be growing in our relationship to God. The Spirit of God indwells us, convicts us of sin. You cannot live a life of rampant, unrepentant sin and, and claim to be a Christian. Not that the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. But you also cannot say, I am a Christian and therefore I no longer sin. You haven't even done that today since you've been up. And so in our practice, in our daily walk, in, our, in our, our moving in this life, in this fallen world and in this flesh, we're going to be growing in our walk. But make sure you understand, in our position before God, it is either perfect in Jesus Christ, 100%, or it's zero and separated from God. There is no area in between. You're either accepted 100%, totally perfect in the righteousness of Christ, or you have no righteousness before God. There's no sliding scale, not when it comes to our position in Christ. And I want to tell you this, believer. If you live in this world for a hundred years, and you serve God greater than any other human being has ever served God in the history of this world, when you die, 
and you stand before God at the judgment, you will still only be a sinner saved by grace. His salvation is perfect and complete. Nothing can be added to it. And nothing can be taken away. That, my friends, is peace and rest. We let so many things direct our hearts in other directions, direct our lives in other directions. We, we let so many different things govern how we see ourselves and how we walk in this world. Your identity, if you have been born again, your identity is in Christ and it is in nothing else. You cannot find it in your spouse, in your family, in your job, in your pleasures, in your emotions, in your fears, in your failures, in your good works, or anything else. This is so important if we are going to grow as disciples of Jesus Christ like our mission statement says that we want to. It's so important if we're going to make disciples of Jesus Christ as He commissioned us to do. When we as believers try to find our hope and our peace and our rest and our purpose and our identity in other things other than the gospel of Jesus Christ, we're trying to add things to the gospel. We're denying the truth of God's word that says you have everything in Christ. In him, all the promises of God are yes and amen. This is serious. And when we do that, we cut the legs out from under ourselves as we're striving to live for Jesus. By forgetting the gospel and trying to find our peace and our rest and our identity in other things, we're hindering our own growth as disciples. Next week, we're going to examine verses 6 through 10. And there, we read them this morning because I wanted you to see Paul is angry. He tells them with no uncertain terms, those who teach another gospel are condemned. They're under the curse of God. And he said, even if we show back up at church and we preach a different gospel, or an angel shows up to you and preaches a different gospel, they're cursed of God. He doesn't hold anything back, but I want you to see this. He also blisters the Galatians for falling for this false gospel. He says, I am astonished that you guys are so quickly departing from, look at it in your Bibles, verse 6, not it, from Him, by leaving the gospel. You're departing from God. You're departing from Jesus. You're departing from the one who called you. In chapter 3 of Galatians, he's going to say, Oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? He tears them up for falling for this false gospel. So it's important. It's urgent. Your very soul depends on the gospel you trust in. Jesus either paid it all or he didn't. We must preach this gospel to ourselves. There are a lot of false teachers that teach that the gospel alone is not sufficient. In fact, I saw a story this week at Shepherd's Conference, which is a conference in California, that there were a, was a group there with all these pastors at this conference passing out literature saying, if anybody wants to, we'll pay them $25,000 if, if they can come to our church and debate gospel, the salvation by faith alone. It's still out there. 
But what I'm telling you today, disciple of Christ, is the most dangerous false teacher that you face today is you. It's me. It's my own heart, my own flesh, my own mind. We cannot allow even our own emotions, our own thoughts, our own moods to draw us away from the truth that we have been made perfect in the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Jesus, we have grace before God. In Jesus, we have peace before God. In Jesus, we have been perfectly and fully rescued from this present age. Even, believer, if you don't feel rescued from this present age, He's given us everything. And it's all in Christ and nothing else. He is our shelter. He is our peace. He is our fulfillment and our identity. We must preach this gospel to our own hearts. We must fight to find our fulfillment in Him, our salvation in Him, our peace in Him, and in nothing else. You don't have to fight for your salvation. But my goodness, you have to fight to walk in it. This is what we're going to see in the book of Galatians. I've almost, preaching this introduction, Paul just lays out his case and the rest of the book is basically him going back and showing us without doubt that no, I am not an apostle uh, chosen by man. He's going to do that in chapter 1. Then he's going to defend his his apostleship again in chapter 2 and then the gospel in chapter 3 and 4 and then tell us how to walk in that in 5 and 6. I want to preach the whole book today. But everything there is in this introduction. You have everything in Christ. If you've been born again, if your heart has been changed and the fruit of the Spirit is evident in your life, the work of the Spirit is evident in your life, your heart desires Christ. I didn't say anything about how great you're doing at it. I'm talking about your heart. If your heart has been made new, if you trust in the gospel, you're accepted, you're loved. You're valued. And yes, regardless of how you feel, you are rescued from this present evil age. And believer, until you fight to find your identity in Christ who has given you this identity all on His own, in His own work, and you fight to find your fulfillment in Him and what He has done, you will never have peace. You'll keep looking for peace in places that it can't be found. And you'll keep running on the same hamster wheel, chasing after every wind of doctrine, being tossed back and forth. This new program, this new book, this new teaching, this new thing is, has come out. And this is finally going to open the door to the abundant Christian life. No, He's given you the life in Jesus Christ. Walk in it. Find your peace there. Preach the gospel to yourself. There is no other gospel. And this gospel, Jesus' death, His burial, His resurrection, this gospel is enough. Maybe today you need to be delivered from this present age. We're going to see that Paul tells the believers in chapter 5 and chapter 6, What walking after Christ, what this gospel does in your life and the fruit of the Spirit it produces and the works of the flesh that don't have the Spirit. Maybe as you look at your own life and you say, I'm not walking after Jesus at all. 
I haven't desired Him. I haven't lived for Him. I haven't trusted in this gospel of Christ to save me. I haven't received Jesus. This, this gospel is it's offered to you today at 12 p.m. I don't know about 12.01. Trust in Him today and you can be delivered from this present evil age. He will save you and you will have everything in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we do love you and we thank you. We thank you for your gospel. We thank you for your word. God, I pray, I pray that as a church, that as believers, that as saints who fellowship with one another in union with you today in this local assembly, that we would be a people that, that fight to find our peace and our joy and our, our identity in the salvation that you have given us, in the gospel that you have saved us by, knowing that you accept us because of Jesus and no other reason that we have all things in Christ. Help us to turn away from those worldly, fleshly desires that we think we have to have, but you and your, in your providence have not seen fit to give, give us. God, help us to see that you are with your people. You promise to never leave, never forsake your people. God, I pray that you would help us to preach the gospel to ourselves. God, if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, that hasn't trusted in you, that hasn't given their life to you, God, I pray that you would draw their heart to you today and that you would save souls for your kingdom. God, help them to call out upon you and know that this salvation, it's a free gift by your grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone and there is nothing more required. God, I pray that they would call out upon you today. We thank and love you in Jesus' name. Amen. I would love to pray with you if you want to come. As always, I'm going to stand right down here at the front. Will you stand with me?